morning, Resurrection Sunday. And um, I'm not going to give you a big diatribe, maybe a little bit of one, about Easter. I, uh, years ago, I, I looked up, there's one place in the scripture in Acts, the 12th chapter, where it talks about Easter. It just actually mentions Easter. And uh, I'd looked it up before, but I'd forgotten, so I took the time to go back and look up the word Easter in the Greek, again, in Acts 12, how it's used in Acts 12. And in Acts 12, Easter is actually another word, or the way they translated it, for Passover. It's interesting, but it was a, it's a meal that was eaten. And what we know about the reality of Easter is it's pagan in its origins, like so many things are. But in this case... Uh, I've heard people say, well, we can go ahead and say Easter, and I'll use the term uh, here to, today, this morning, some, just because we're familiar with it. But Easter is, in itself, in its traditional form, has nothing to do with what we are celebrating today. Absolutely nothing. It's fertility rites, it's new beginnings, and so forth, and done in a pagan way. So what we're going to say today is that we're celebrating Resurrection Sunday, which is what this is all about. Have you ever, have you ever noticed how much people like to be remembered? I, I this this past fall, a lot of years ago, I I go up into Hoosier National Forest and areas where my family was originally from, and uh, years ago I took my son when he was just little and carved his name on a on a tree, and every year that I, I try to go up there and find it again, and this year I was fortunate enough to find two different places. And so I took the time to carve my grandson's names in the same tree. It's still alive, believe it or not, 100 years ago, and it's still going. And uh, I carved it, but it's a way for me to go up, and I can look at those initials that are yet to fill in and still remember. My, um, one of the outbuildings that we poured a concrete floor in, every time I walked into it to get the mower, which that's the one thing about, about spring, I hate. Don't you? Think about mowing grass, bugs, weed eating. Ah, well, well, we'll go somewhere else for, for a while. If I walk in there, I notice that in 2004, we put the names of my two grandsons. And I've got a third one now. I'm not going to be able to get his in there unless we pour more concrete, which from the price of it, I doubt that will happen. So I'm not, uh, uh, so not going to be able to do that for some time. But it's just a, it's a way of remembering. And some people, you know, from, from carving on a tree to, to some kind of a uh, elaborate foundation where we bury things in the foundation, and foundation of a building, uh, the first one we built back here, you know, we put initials and time and so forth. And everyone ever tears down the church after the rapture or they use it for something else, they'll know when we built that building. And so, so you know, you, you, you see that. People wish to be remembered. We like to remember certain things. And... and Savvy marketers are really good at this. They, they, and it comes as no surprise that a lot of companies have taken advantage of man's desire to be remembered. There's a lot of companies that capitalize on that. Eternal Reefs in Decatur, Alabama, mixes a person's ashes with concrete and creates an artificial reef in the sea. So you can always be remembered by a grouper that you caught by that artificial reef. Okay, Celebrate Life, a Lakeside California company will merge a, a person's ashes with combustibles and fireworks so when you go up, you can go out with a bang. 
Celestis, a Houston, Texas firm, has already blasted the remains of over 100 people into outer space, including one of your heroes, Gene Roddenberry. He's in outer space. So, you know, Star Trek's creator. Life Jim, a Chicago, Illinois firm, is a, is a relative newcomer to this field. For a mere $4 million, you can take your ashes and have them combined and pressurized and made into a quarter-carat blue diamond for just $4 million. So if any of you really want to be remembered, you can go ahead and have that done, pay for it, and will it to me. Every time I think of this, I think of that. And as I, you know, I, I said I've, I've been here for a while, but I think of that story of the, of the, the guy who died, and he, he wanted to take all of his money with him. And so at the casket, his wife went up and wrote him a check and threw it in the casket. <laughs> you know, the church is a heavenly entity, and it offers a better way to be remembered. A whole lot better. And this is called the resurrection. That's how it is remembered. So on this resurrection slash Easter Sunday, I'm going to preach to you remembered at the resurrection. Resurrection is at the very heart of the Bible. Long before Resurrection Sunday, the idea of a person's resurrection surfaced. The resurrection is hinted at in, in many biblical stories. Although Abel was dead, his blood cried from the ground. That's a resurrection. Isaac shook himself and rose from the altar meant for his death, a resurrection. Joseph was thought dead by his father, Jacob, yet the news comes. Joseph, thy son, is alive, a resurrection. Or think of Miriam's tender hands placing baby Moses in the Nile. He was as good as gone until Pharaoh's daughter lifted him from the waters, a resurrection. Later in Moses' life, he mysteriously disappears on Mount Nebo. Elijah is also taken up in a, into heaven by a whirlwind. Hundreds of years later, they reappear with Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. There is more than a hint of resurrection in that particular story. Are you with me? I don't care what the world has to do, what they say, what they may come by. We still, as the church of the living God, have a hope, and that hope is the resurrection. If you want to remember... Remember me, remember the resurrection. If you want to remember me, remember that one day I'm going to be taken out of the grave if I go that way or by the transfiguration and I want you to remember that this man is going to go up in a resurrection. That's the hope that we have. Resurrection is boldly declared by Job's ancient declaration of faith. He said, though my skin... My, or excuse me, though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. In Job 19.26, the Old Testament features dim portraits of resurrection. The New Testament makes it plain. There are over 300 verses in the New Testament dealing with Christ's resurrection from the grave. 300 verses. I do believe that there's going to be a resurrection if the Bible deals with that to that extent. 
The resurrection, we are told, is many things. It's a sign for the unbelievers in Matthew 12 and John 20. It's the answer for a believer's doubt and anxiety in Luke 24. It's the proof that the Lord's teachings are true in Acts 2. It's a catalyst for evangelism in Matthew 28 and Acts 10. It's the capstone of the gospel in Romans 4 and Romans 10. It's the basis of a believer's commitment to Christ's cause in Romans 7 and 4. The remedy for the fear of death in John 11. It's the link to the Lord's second coming in Acts 1 and Revelations 1. And one more thing, the resurrection provides the assurance that each child of God is remembered. Jesus said in John 14, 19, because I live, ye shall live also. You will be remembered. You will be remembered. What a promise. What a hope. Phillips Brooks said this. He said, tomb, thou shalt not hold him longer. Death is strong, but life is stronger. Stronger than the dark, the light. Stronger than the wrong, the right. Faith and hope triumphant say Christ will rise on Easter Day. That's the hope that we have. And today we come to celebrate the fact that he arose and that what? He remembers. Jesus didn't just come out of the grave and say, I'm coming. Nobody else is. Because I live, ye shall live also. I'm remembered. I'm remembered. And I think everybody in the darkest times that we're having, probably one of the darkest times that we have had in, our, in, in the United States since the Depression, we're living in it right now. We're living in the darkest times. But we still have a hope of a resurrection. That's light. Give the Lord a hand clap if you believe and understand what I'm saying. So let's take the time right now and set the stage for the original Easter story. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came very early to Christ's grave. Jesus had been buried hurriedly due to the approaching Sabbath. On Sunday morning, the Sabbath was over and the grisly work of finalizing preparations of the Lord's body for burial was at hand. Mary Magdalene found the stone rolled away and the grave empty. She ran and told Peter and John. And when these two apostles confirmed her story, they left. But Mary remained. A voice asked the miserable Mary why she was crying. And blinded by grief, she merely replies that someone has taken the Lord to an unknown place. Look at John 20, 14 and 18. And it says, And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew now, not that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast taken, laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascended to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. The resurrection sightings from that point begin to skyrocket. The risen Christ began making his appearance. Five times on Resurrection Sunday alone, he made his appearance. Jesus appeared to more believers in the weeks following. The resurrection brought hope to those who had lost all hope. Hope to people who had lost all hope. Sometimes in the course of dealing with people and you see people in hopeless situations, hurting people, if somehow you could just grab them and say, listen, there is a hope. I, you know, I, I know that I can as a pastor shake things into people, but sometimes I wish I could. You know, just grab them and pick them up and shake them and say, listen, 
This Holy Ghost that we have is the spirit of the resurrected one. And I don't care how bad life may get. I don't care if your best friend, your wife, or whoever it may be turns against you. You have hope through the power of the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in your heart. You have hope. Deep naturally calls to deep, the Bible says. And the resurrection speaks to something deep within the soul of a man. It speaks something deep to me. It speaks something deep to you. Uh, you know, the, the, I, I, I read a lot and, and different things. And in 1943, there was a um, book written. Actually, there's been a lot of uh, plays concerning the Phantom of the Opera. And uh, the, I'm quoting from this. It says, you'll love it here. And this is what the Phantom of the Opera said to the kidnapped Christine. And he said, you'll love it here when you get used to the dark. And you'll love the dark too. It's friendly. It's peaceful. It brings rest and, and, and relief from pain. It's right under the opera and the music comes down and the darkness distills it. It closes, it, it cleanses it of the, of the suffering that made it. Then it's all beauty. And life here is like a resurrection. Contrary to the phantom's underground world, man wasn't made for a life of darkness. Man was not made for darkness. We are made for light. We are made for light. That's why you feel better in the spring. That's why that you could ignore the grass you're going to have to mow twice a week for the, until December 1st. Because all of a sudden the light is longer. That's where the pagan ritual of Easter actually began because of that. Light, you know, has defeated darkness. And so, so that, that's why you feel better. Photosynthesis, all these kind of big words that we can get from, from IU. You know, we, 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 can, we can do all, use all this, and it makes us feel better. You get out and you have the sun in your face and you feel good, and, and, uh, and, and it does. It does make you feel better. So, so we're made for light. Now, the dawn is a metaphor of the resurrection. Victor Hugo said the reappearance of light is the same as the survival of the soul. It is the reappearance. It's that survival is a rate of survival. You know, we are all tired of it. I can't even imagine living in Alaska where you have all those, those dark days for so long. You know, that's the reason there's a lot of suicides there because of darkness. Scripture says, as it began to dawn on the first day of the week, a dawn, at dawn man learned of the resurrection. Resurrection's dawning is when the dark night of the soul has passed. New life has begun. I don't know about you, but I remember when my new life began. It was like darkness was receding when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It was, it was gone. There was a newness. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. I am a new creature. Darkness has receded. It's had to go. And you know, you don't really realize that till you can push by faith through our carnal nature and say, I don't want to be what I've always been. I want to be different. I don't want darkness to rule me. I want to rule over darkness. And the only way to rule over darkness is to have God's Spirit inside of us, which causes darkness to have to flee when we would desire that. Regardless of the depression, regardless of the pain, regardless of what we have to deal with on a daily basis, if you are living for God the way that you need to, the Spirit of God pushes back the darkness and you can find joy in the midst of any situation that would come against you. We don't say 
Resurrection Eve. We say resurrection morning. For resurrection is the hope of a brand new day. It's a hope of a new day. Scripture says, as it began to dawn again on the first day of the week, it dawned man learned of the resurrection. So it's the dawning. It's the new life that has come. The, the resurrection speaks of the man's deep longing. There's that deep longing in us, all of us. The longing, the, the dawning or the, the longing for, for light, illumination, understanding, comprehension. It is a light that shines into darkness never to be overcome. Never will this be overcome it is there is such a, a there's such a push in me this morning for someone in here to understand that darkness does not have to rule your life that you don't have to be drawn back into the same thing that you've always been drawn into that has hurt you, has destroyed you, that's eroded any, any goodness in you. That, and you know that you, you don't have to live this way, but there's still that, 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 that carnal nature, that, that pulling back of darkness that comes to you, that God can overcome, has already overcome all darkness, and you can overcome too through His power. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own, but He can do it through you. As Jesus died, the world was dark for three hours. For three hours. After Jesus died, the apostles' hearts were dark for three days. Once Jesus arose, the world came back to life. Mary Magdalene was a pivotal character of the resurrection morning. And not da Vinci's idea of Mary Magdalene. And if those of you get your Bible training from something that Hollywood has put out there, you're in bad shape. She wasn't no secret wife. Come on. Mary was a secret wife of Jesus. Here's the deal with Mary Magdalene. He had cast seven devils out of her. Seven devils. And she needed to know more than anything else that the light still had vanquished the darkness. You get me? She needed to know, though Jesus was in the tomb, that the light that he had given her was still going to vanquish the darkness. I don't want to go back to seven devils. I don't want to go back to that. She needed to know that her fears of returning to the hell of demonic possession were unjustified. That Jesus truly was triumphant. You see, everything that Jesus did, the capstone of all of that was the fact that He was resurrected out of the tomb. That He overcame the greatest threat of all, and that was the threat of death. That proved that He was the one true God. That proved that He was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That proved it. He had defeated death, hell, and the grave, and nothing was going to come and, and cause her to go back to what she once was. You listen to me. You can come in here on a Sunday night and you can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you can walk out of here joyful, triumphant, and knowing that everything's going to be okay and you're going to go right back out into that world and it's going to come against you. Hell is going to come against you with everything it possibly can. You don't have to cave into that. You don't have to give up what God gave you right here. The same joy, the same victory can be taken with you out there to live in this world.
You know, in Mary Magdalene, we can sense the power of the resurrection as it speaks to the deep need within a person. So when Mary made her first trip to tell the disciples that the stone was rolled away, I want you to listen carefully to her words. Now listen to this, John 20 and 2. It says, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Now here she speaks in the impersonal and in the plural, the and we. But a few verses later, to the angel, she speaks in the first person and in the possessive. In John 20, verse 13, she says, They have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. There is something about the resurrection that forces each of us to take it personally. We can't deal with the subject in a superficial manner. The resurrection probes us into asking, what does Jesus rising again mean to me? That is why a lot of preachers, and I know that, I know that uh, uh, Brother, Brother Hill has got a special place for the cross, and you wonder, you know, why is it that this is so, this, is, this works on me constantly. It's in my heart all the time. I, I try to learn more and try to understand more about the cross. It's because it is such a personal thing. It's because what, what does this truly, I don't feel like I've got the full meaning of all this. Me, a person who doesn't deserve anything good, he died for me on a cross. And he, he was raised from the dead. I know him. He's in my heart. How can that be? How can the God of all glory be so personal to me? And so it, it, it feels that way to us. What does it mean to me? And much like a, I, I never was much of a fan of Liberace, and I think everybody knows why. Uh, but he had this billing one time in Radio City Music Hall, one Easter Sunday. Now, when he was quoted as saying, "He said you can have either the resurrection or you can have Liberace, but you can have both." Well, I guarantee you that I will choose the resurrection over Liberace. I just cannot handle those little spangled suits that he wore. Okay. Let's get away from that, Robertson. All right, let's do it. I'm like the Arab who converted from Islam to Christianity. When asked why he did so, he said, I came to a fork in the road. He said, one man directed me to Islam. The other directed me to Christianity. When asked what was so special about the man who pointed him to Christianity, he said, the man pointing me to Islam was dead, but the one pointing me to Christianity was alive. That's the difference. That's the difference. The resurrection speaks to something deep within our soul. Something deep within our soul. Mary turned from the tomb and saw Jesus. And at first she didn't recognize him. She supposed him to be the gardener. Mary was the first but not the last person that day who didn't initially recognize Jesus. Two disciples on the road to Emmaus were also unable to distinguish the master. And something about the Lord's countenance had changed. And although Mary didn't recognize Jesus, he knew her. Better than an eternal reef is a knowledge that Jesus knows us. Okay? Better than orbiting in outer space is the assurance that he sees us. And more spectacular than a fireworks display and more lasting than a diamond is the confidence that the living Lord knows the way that we take. He knows our road. He knows our direction. We are remembered at the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 through 22 says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. 
But now is Christ risen from the dead and became the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And that's our hope. It's the anchor of our soul. We know that our, our Redeemer lives. And because He lives, we too shall live also. And although Mary couldn't see Him clearly, He saw her. That's, that's what matters. I know that in, in every person's life and living for God, there's times when we can't see Jesus as clearly as we would like. But He always sees us. He always says, uh, you know, I know I'm not supposed to. I'm 58, but I love the Sunday comics. You know, I, I try to. I get so upset when I can't get. I don't get any paper, but I get the Sunday paper. And I don't read any of the editorials. I just read the comics and the outdoor section. That's the good stuff. Okay. Well, it used to be outdoor section kind of got a little bit green on me, so I can't hardly handle it. Well, anyway, I was uh, I, <laughs> I was reading a comics this morning, Luann. And they were talking about being thankful. They're sitting now. They're eating Big Macs, French fries, milkshakes. And one of them says, well, one says, are you, uh, does any of you have any spirituality? And the other one says, well, in this time, there's just a whole lot, they're cramming food into their mouth. There's just not a whole lot to be thankful for. The other one picks up their iPhone and looks. He said, well, we can make the movie here at 3 o'clock. And the other one is saying, you know, well, yeah, this time there's just not a whole lot to be thankful for. We take so many things for granted. And we get upset because we can't have the newest iPhone model. We can't have the nicest car when we've got everything that we could ever possibly need. So much to be thankful for. And the fact remains that sometimes in not seeing God clearly is because we feel like that we've been deprived of something. When we have everything we will ever need, and the great thing about it is He always sees us clearly. He always sees us clearly. And although we, we see the future through a misty glass, He sees us perfectly. Written in the Lamb's Book of Life, He remembers them that are His. And He rose, as He rose, so shall we rise. Resurrection. Hilda Doolittle in The Flower of the Rod says, Resurrection is a sense of direction. Resurrection is a beeline straight to the hoard and the plunder, the treasure, the storeroom, the honeycomb. The resurrection brought a new knowledge. On resurrection morning, Jesus told the worshiping Mary not to touch him. Later, Jesus invited the unbelieving Thomas to touch him. Jesus resisted the touch of love, but he welcomed the touch of unbelief. Now, I know the reason here, but it's still, there's, there's many reasons. And I know that he filled the role of a high priest, and he had not yet sprinkled the blood uh, that he had shed on the mercy seat. And according to the high priest, they could not be touched by a woman till the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. He had not yet ascended to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. I realize that, but still the fact remains that that unbelieving Thomas was able to touch him. Unbelief will always touch him because he sees us. I can look at you and you might curse and carry on and say all kinds of bad stuff. And, you know, I, I might want to walk away from you and say this guy is worthless. There's no hope for him. There's absolutely that he's no good. But God still sees him and can still be touched by that unbelief. <laughs> he told Mary, he said, I ascend to my father. And Jesus established the fact that Mary had to change her worship. Rather than clinging to his physical presence, 
She must learn to worship in spirit and in truth. It's no longer the physical presence. Once Christ had ascended, there would, there would, be, would, there would, plenty, there would be plenty of time for, for worship. And once Jesus assumed his triumphal state with hair as white as wool and feet as fine brass, there would be a time enough then for Mary Magdalene to worship. But for now, Jesus entrusted Mary with an urgent mission. He said, go tell my disciples. Some of us stay at the cross. Some of us wait at the tomb. Quickened and raised with Christ, yet lingering still in the gloom. Some of us bide at the Passover feast with Pentecost all unknown. The triumphs of grace in the heavenly place that our Lord has made his own. If the Christ who died had stopped at the cross, his work had been incomplete. If the Christ who was buried had stayed in the tomb, he had only known defeat. But the way of the cross never stops at the cross. And the way of the tomb leads on to victorious grace in the heavenly place where the risen Lord has gone. The resurrection forces us to look beyond the present and get into the future. Mary, go tell the disciples. No time for you to stand here and worship. Go tell the disciples. The resurrection still has work to do. What was the message that Mary was to deliver? John twenty seventeen. Jesus saith unto her, Go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. My brethren, he didn't call them disciples. My brethren. My brethren, he didn't say, Go tell cursing Peter, doubtful Thomas, fearful James, or fickle Bartholomew. My brethren. He knew they failed him, but he still loved and valued them. My brethren. He knew that they fled him in his lowest time, but he couldn't fail them. His message, he said, I ascend. They got it wrong at Calvary. If thou be the Son of God, come down. Get it right this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday. If thou be the Son of God, ascend. He is high, he's exalted, he's above all. All power is in heaven and earth is given unto him. All power. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. He arose. He arose, triumphant, victorious, and exultant. If he rose, if you stand with me just for a little while, just acknowledge, closed eyes, lifted hands, whatever you want to do. If he rose, so shall you and I. This dust shall rise. When the world says you're finished, the resurrection says God isn't through with you yet. When the world says you're forgotten, the resurrection says God remembers you. Isaiah 49, 13 says, Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I've inscribed you in the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Do you hear that? Whatever wall that you may build is before him, but he still breaks them down. When he rose from the tomb, he left behind mortality, yet he kept the scars. He left behind mortality, but he kept the scars. And those scars are more than emblems of his suffering. They are proof. That at the resurrection, you and I are going to be remembered. Aren't you glad? Raise your hands. Just worship the God as the singers begin to sing. And I'll turn this over to the rest.